good hand. Awesome. Glad she could come over with us. And uh, I've known Ray a long time, uh, even before when uh, he got into traveling ministry and was serving um, as uh, Dr. Barkley's traveling secretary and uh, serving as an usher in the church. And so I've known him most of his spiritual life. And uh, it's awesome to see what God has done in his life. And he's really given a message for the body of Christ. And um, we want to have, we're, we're really trying hard to have Ray in every year because we just think what he has to say is so important for the church and for our church to remember what we're here to do, why we're doing it, amen, and uh, that we all need to do it together, amen. And uh, he really helps us with that. And so we're very blessed to have him. I want you to give him a warm welcome to the pulpit. Hallelujah, everybody. Well, it's a blessing for me to be here, that's for sure. Look at your neighbor. Say, I'm glad you made it to the house of God. Amen. Next time, could you look a little better? <laughs> Amen. No, we just, you know, whether you're plaster or drywall, we're glad you're here. Amen. You're a little wavy or smoothed over. It's all good. Praise God. Aren't you glad to be saved? Amen. I, I don't know about you. I, I think it's wonderful to be saved. I was going to introduce my wife, Janine, which always gets me into discussion afterwards. So I'm glad that Dr. Jolliffe introduced my wife, Janine. Now I'm off the hook and everything's good. Amen. So, yay me. One in a row. Amen. One in a row. Did you bring a Bible? Turn with me, if you would, to the book of Luke. We're going to start in chapter 24. Hallelujah. Is everybody in deep intercession and prayer for Mrs. Jolliffe today? The hard task she had of being on the cruise. Amen. Luke chapter 24. You know, I, I don't know about everybody else. Over time, I've had several friends leave Michigan, and they all said God called them out of here. I said, okay. And uh, let me guess, you're going south. God has called nobody north. Right. He has called everybody to the south. He doesn't love anybody north of Midland, Michigan. He only loves the people south of Michigan. So I have my doubts. Pardon me for being a little cynical, hallelujah, but you're not going to talk me out of it. I can't imagine that was all the Holy Ghost. Let's not blame God for everybody's insanity. Amen. I love him. Praise God. I want to talk to you a message um kind of put you in remembrance of things. Is that all right? Yeah. Do you ever have your kids come home and tell you a joke that you've already heard before, but you forgot it until they started telling it? And then they, it's like, oh, I, I know the punchline, but I forgot about it until. Paul said this way. He said, I want, I'm writing to put you in remembrance, right. to remind you of some things. Look at this here in, verse, uh, in Luke chapter 24. When Mary Magdalene and the others, they go to the tomb. Look at this in verse 5, chapter 24. It says, and, and, they, and as they were afraid, they bowed their faces to the earth, and they said, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but he is risen. Now, these are all familiar verses, right? Most people have read all of these. He is not here, but he is risen. It says, Remember, look at that. Remember how he spoke to you when he was still with you in Galilee. Now, that thought in mind, keep your finger there. We're going to come back. Go to Luke chapter 9, verse 22. Bless you. 
Luke chapter 9, verse 22. These are red letters, correct? Yes. This is Jesus talking to his disciples who were with him. The Son of Man must, be, must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and be raised on the third day. Now, did that happen? Yes. Isn't that exactly how it happened? Yes. I don't mean this is close. I mean this is identical to what would happen a couple years later. That the Son of Man, Jesus, would suffer many things, I guess so, rejected by the elders, check, and the chief priests, check, and the scribes, check, and be killed, check, and be raised on the third day. Now you would think come the third day after his crucifixion, they would almost be waiting outside of the tomb, but they're not. Go with me to chapter 9, verse 44, same chapter. Let these words sink down into your ears. For the Son of Man is... I mean, is there any more plain of a way to say it than that? We Modern day, we might say, do you understand the words that are coming out of my mouth? I mean, I'm a redneck and I got this figured out. Let these words... I feel like my dad's talking to me. Let these words sink down into your ears. For the Son of Man is about to be betrayed into the hands of men. But they, 45, did not understand this saying, and it was hidden from them so that they did not perceive it, and they were afraid to ask him about this saying. Now, let's just kind of slow down because people get a little bit weird sometimes. Well, Brother Ray, he talked to him, but it was hidden from them. Well, if it was hidden, he wasn't doing the one hiding. Right. He was doing the explaining. Yes. Isn't that correct? Yes. If, if I tell you there's $100 in the, you know, go down the hall, hang a left, and and, and it's down there, and you go down the hall, and you hang a right, and you can't find $100. I didn't hide it. You didn't, you know what I mean? That's not on me. No, there's not $100. Stay here. Hallelujah. But the point is, is that you can't blame God that they didn't get it. Because God, the son, was explaining it to them. If you've ever been a parent, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Well, I didn't, you never said that. Just shut up. You know, I, my son Nathan, he, I walked in his room and he was doing something just, you know, normally if I had to really get strong with my kids, it was kind of like you fill a gas tank a little at a time, you know, quarter tank, half tank, three quarters, the beatings will now begin. And I walked in his room and he just filled the whole tank, boom, like a NASCAR race, everything, boom, there it is. And I looked at him, I said, you know, I said, you do that again, I will bury you by your brother. Now, he's never had a brother. He has a sister, but no brothers. He said, I don't have a brother. I said, you used to till he did that. <laughs> don't ever do that again. <laughs> I walked away, and I heard him turn to Janine, and he said, Mom, did I have a brother? <laughs> he said, Honey, you just, just stay away from your father for the rest of the day today. He'll calm back down again. Amen. It's funny now. Probably the kid flinched a lot when he was about 12, so Hallelujah. This saying was hidden, but my point is, is Jesus didn't hide it. They did. Now, if you do more study, what what I've gathered from study is that the the common doctrine of the Messiah, the common teaching of of their day, was that when the Messiah came, because he was the son of David, he would be like David and a great warrior king. 
they gathered, from what I can research, they gathered the thought that when the Messiah came, he would drive the Romans out who had occupied their land. Just like if we were overrun, we would long for the day that our army would come back and drive out whoever ran us over. That was what they, that was their, so when Jesus came and he wasn't too concerned about the Romans, he was dealing with the sinful nature of man. It, It just didn't, you understand? It wasn't what they were looking for. They had these preconceived ideas. It's kind of like a marriage. You come in with your package, she has her package, and then you have reality. Amen? But they, he had told them specifically how this was going to go, and they just not catching it. One more verse. Let's look at this, if you would, please. Chapter 18, verse 31. Luke chapter 18. I want to get them all from the book of Luke, so you know this is three different times, not... You know, one out of Matthew, one out of Mark, one out of John. And this isn't three different accounts of the same thing. This is three times Jesus said the same thing. Chapter 18, verse 31. And he took the twelve aside and he said to them, Behold, we are going to Jerusalem, and all the things that are written by the prophets concerning the Son of Man will be accomplished. For he will be delivered to the Gentiles. Check. He will be mocked and salted. Check. Spit upon check they will scourge him check and kill him and the third day he will rise again now this is not the first time they've heard this right Right. this is not even the second time they've heard this it's now the third time he has repeated himself to people who we would consider very spiritual I mean Peter walked on water I'm still trying to catch up to this guy I know people put Peter down for walking, you know, getting in fear and doubt and unbelief. How far did you make it? I can't clear the bathtub. I'm sure not. You know what I mean? And that's warm water. I'm not going to fuss with this guy. Isn't that right? Now go back to Luke chapter 24. He is not here, verse 6, he is not here, but he is risen. Remember how he spoke to you when he was still in Galilee. So they are, these angels, people want to see angels, visions. When they get here, they're going to remind you of the same things that have already been preached to you. Come on, come on. Isn't that correct? Yes. Saying the Son of Man must be delivered up into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and the third day rise again and they remembered his words. Now that's the ladies Mary, you know, Mary Magdalene it goes on, but when they go back to the 11 in verse 11, they explain to them what happened and look what, look what happens to Peter, James and John and their words seemed to them like idle tales and they did not believe them. That's the, that's the man, that's the men. That's Peter, James, John. These, were the, these are the 12 apostles of the Lamb. The guys who wrote these books. Other than Luke, he wasn't one of the original 12. So you, you understand my heart on this? They, in the busyness of the day and in the chaos of the day, though they had heard specifically how this was going to go, they didn't catch it. It got past them. Sometimes I find myself in the ministry not telling people some deep truth they've never heard before, but putting them in remembrance of things that have already been preached. Right. 
My heart burns today to, not to try to bring some deep Greek and Hebrew revelation or some wild, weird thing nobody's ever heard before or wow you with something you've never studied, but to put us simply in remembrance back to simple truths that Jesus Christ gave us that we may have known about but perhaps we're not grabbing a hold of even though, can I say it this way, pastors already preached them a thousand times. If it happened to them, could it happen to us? Could you and I have good things that God has told us go right past us that we need to be reminded of again? Right. Amen? That thought in mind, would you go with me to the book of Proverbs chapter 13? I want to just kind of remind the church of some things I actually have brought even to this pulpit before when I was here for the, the conference on a Saturday um, morning. Look at this in verse 23, Proverbs chapter 13. This is one of kind of the key mark verses that burns in my heart. Much food is in the follow ground of the poor, and for lack of justice, there is waste. I'll read it again. Much food is in the follow ground of the poor. Now, I'm reading New King James Version. If you have one of the more modern ones, they really, in all honesty, they really messed it up. Much food is in the follow ground. Follow ground is land you own, but you're not using. It's yours, but you didn't plan anything there. Okay? So this is rich King Solomon. He's a billionaire by anybody's standards. Maybe more so than anybody we would have today, but certainly in his day, he was a rich of the rich. And he's writing this verse by the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit using him to put this on paper. He says, there's a lot of food in the land that the poor man owns. And for lack of justice, there is waste. That word justice doesn't mean like a um, corrupt judge or a corrupt lawyer. It's talking about judgment or decision making. Perhaps we could say depth perception. But what's it saying? It says there, because of bad decisions or because of bad judgment, things are wasted. Or in the margin of my Bible, it says there is what is swept away. So I'm going to put the whole thing together. This is what King Solomon was saying by the Holy Spirit. Much of what the poor man needs is in the land that he has, but he's not using. And because he, he doesn't use it, that bad judgment, is that opportunity is swept away. Much, much of what we need in God are things that, Pastor, if I can put it in what I really have in my heart, are things that the Lord has already had our pastor preach. But because we're not using what he's already given us, our opportunities are going on without us, and we sit and wait, wanting our answers, but our answers were already preached. Hear my heart? This is why I don't recommend people go to some conference they've never gone to or hear some speaker or some, read some weird book or try to find some wild revelation. Just stick with what Jesus Christ gave you. You got a good church with a good pastor who loves you, that lives clean and holy, who studies and, and is well-versed in the scriptures. And just when you read the Bible, don't try to see something hidden behind every rock and every verse, if I can put it that way. Just let the Bible speak to you. And just let these truths keep going. Dr. George Evans, who is my pastor's pastor, read his Bible through 
about 800 times cover to cover. He, he had a great statement that he said, you know, in the Old Testament, the priests were responsible to bring the wood into the temple every day. And then the fire would fall from heaven and light it. But it didn't fall every day. You just had to keep bringing the wood, keep bringing the wood, pray, keep bringing the wood. And then when God wanted to, he would light it. Yeah. But we were, they were called, the priests were called the keepers of the flame. Every day you just keep bringing the wood, keep bringing the wood, keep bringing the wood, keep bringing the wood, keep reading the verses, keep reading the verses, keep listening to the man of God. Listen, listen, listen. And one day, God will light it. And you go back and you say, oh, man, that's powerful. But if you don't keep bringing the wood, there's nothing for God to light. That we are, we are in the New Testament, we are, we are a kingdom of priests. Unto our God, we that that's our we are keepers of the flame of our own heart. But you've got to just keep putting the book in. You putting the book in. You putting the book in. You now uh, these these thoughts in mind. See, and this is where I, I sometimes with people I talk to them because in in the ministry of helps there are many opportunities for us to get involved and to get a hold of what God has given us. But because it doesn't seem like this big spiritual thing, people ignore that opportunity and they go without their miracle because they're not seizing the opportunities that God gives them. See, you know, I get into this all the time, but what good does it do you to find a church if you're never going to go there? What good is it to have a Bible if you never study it? What, you know, I, I know people who went through all the, can I say rigmarole to get filled with the Holy Ghost? You, you prayed, you fasted, you studied, you went up front, you did a couple kashundas and then went home and got more. And it was, Then you got ostracized by people and they didn't understand what was going on. Your family wrote you off as a weird freak and, you know. But then they quit praying in tongues. Well, you went through all of the insanity, if I can put it that way, of getting filled with the Holy Ghost. Use it. Use it. Spend some time every day praying in, in the Holy Spirit. Amen. Build yourself up in your most holy faith. And, and, and then use that follow ground that you've been given to produce what it is you need. Can yes. you say amen? Yes. Now, these thoughts in mind, again, would you go with me now to 1 Samuel chapter 2? We're going to look in this church. There's a, this is Samuel. He comes into the church. And when he gets there, there's, there's two people there. They're the, the priest's son, Hophni and Phinehas. And then the priest, his name is Eli. And, you know, I don't know. I, I've asked this all over the world. I've never met anybody named Hophni or Phinehas. Is there a Hophni or Phinehas in this church? <laughs> Say, what does that mean, Brother Reyes? I said it means you're going to get in a lot of fights in school. That's what that means. Because if you're named Phineas, you're never going to have a day's peace in your life. Hallelujah. But Samuel comes into this church. He's really not supposed to be there. His mother drops him off one day and just leaves him. We don't do that anymore. And after church, I don't want 30 kids left in the nursery. Right. Say, hey, I got a revelation while Brother Ray was preaching. Hallelujah. Johnny, you're dedicated to the house of God. <laughs> They're your blessing. You take them back home with you. Hallelujah. But... In this verse, chapter 2, 18 says this, it says, But Samuel ministered before the Lord, even as a child wearing a linen ephod. Moreover, his mother used to bring him a little robe and, and, 
and bring it to him year by year when she came with her husband to offer yearly sacrifices. So Hannah, his mother, had been barren, unable to have children. She cries out to God, and God in his mercy gives her a son. She is so grateful, so blessed, so overwhelmed that when he comes of age, she just takes him down and just says, here, you just serve in the church full time. I'll I'll take care of your clothes and everything else, but I'm just so blessed with what God's done. I'm just going to give you to the house of God. When he gets there, Hophni and Phinehas are there. Let's pick it up in verse 22 with them. Eli, that's the high priest, was very old, and he heard everything that his sons did to Israel and how they lay with the women who assembled at the door of the tabernacle of meeting. So he said to them, why do you do such things? For I hear of your evil dealings from all the people. So this is a known thing in the church. God isn't even telling Eli what's going on. The people are telling Eli what these kids are up to. Now, the Lord looks this whole thing over, and he decides he's going to rearrange his own house. And he visits Samuel in chapter 3. Let's pick it up here in verse 13. For I have told them that I will judge his house. This is God talking to Samuel about Eli and his children. I will judge his house forever for the iniquity which he knows because his sons made themselves vile and he did not restrain them. And therefore I have sworn to the house of Eli that the iniquity of Eli's house shall not be atoned for by sacrifice or by offering. So Samuel lay down until morning and opened the doors of the house and Samuel was afraid to tell Eli the vision. So Eli confronts him and he brings him in and Samuel tells him, short version, that God's going to judge his house and remove him from the priesthood. Verse 19. So Samuel grew, and the Lord was with him, and let none of his words fall to the ground. And all Israel from Dan to Beersheba knew that Samuel had been established as a prophet of the Lord. Now, this is what I want to see kind of reading all these verses. Samuel comes into this church. Hophni and Phinehas are there, Eli, Hophni and Phinehas. Over here, Samuel. Hophni and Sinaeus living in sin, God removes them from the priesthood. And he puts in as his new priest, Samuel. Right. Correct? Yeah. Here's my question. The, the church that they go to, does Samuel hear the same sermons or different sermons from Hophni and Phinehas? Same ones. Right. Is, he, is it the same book of the law or a different book of the law? Same. Is it, the, is it the same worship songs or different worship songs? Is it this, it, it, hear me out. Is it the same weather or different weather? So each one of them in the same church hearing the same sermons with, this, with the same God on the same day, one man is, two men are removed from the ministry and one man is established in the ministry by the same God. Is that what you're telling me? Much food is in the fallow ground of the poor, but for lack of justice, there is what is swept away. They could have just as well been established as a prophet of the Lord as Samuel was, but they wasted their God-given opportunity when they went into the house of God. Not because God didn't love them, not because God didn't want to help them, but because they ignored the principles that were in the scriptures. And when they did, eventually God just said, that'll be enough, I'll find someone else. Amen? I'm talking to you about a message I call seizing spiritual opportunities, that God brings us opportunities, but you can waste those opportunities. 
God doesn't mean God doesn't love you, but he's going to use the people who are faithful to the very things he has already established. Can you say amen? amen. And that's what these verses are talking about. That's what I was talking to you about in the New Testament with, with the apostles, that there was, there was this, this, this follow ground, this teaching that God had given them. It was, that, it was their field. Jesus was their leader. But when these things were, were overlooked and they took other ideas, eventually they found themselves behind the eight ball of what God was doing. Can you say amen? Right. Now, Brother Ray, this is an Old Testament. Do you have, can you find this in the New Testament? Absolutely, I'd be glad to. Go with me to Acts chapter 6. Acts chapter 6 is one of the great ministry of helps verses. We have here that the church has grown. Now in the New Testament, we've gone, you know, Peter's come down out of the upper room. They got filled with the Holy Ghost. He's a changed man. He comes down out of that upper room and he gives his, his first sermon. And in that first sermon, 3,000 people give their lives to the Lord. So Jesus kept his promise when he said, follow me and I'll make you a fisher of men. He sure did. He sure did. He changed that man from a fisherman to a fisher of men in that three, three and a half year period. Right. Amen. Amen. That's how that anointing transferred to him because that was the will of God. I don't know that everybody was called to be an apostle, but you understand whatever you're called to be, Jesus can make you into that. That's what I believe. Uh, if, whether you're a Sunday school teacher, a good mother, a good business person, and a parent, or whatever, you can get the anointing of God to go with you into any sphere of life, and God will make you better at whatever you do in life. Can you say amen? I, I believe that to the core of my being. I was talking to the leadership last night, because I don't believe there's two Holy Ghost, really smart, strong one for pastor in the five-fold ministry, and then another one for the rest of us, because we're just too dumb to have the good one. Pastor got the, he got the good angels, Gabriel and Michael, and I got Bert and Ernie. <laughs> These two idiots couldn't fight their way out of a wet paper sack. You know, that's why I, that's not true. Jesus, the Bible says that the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead yeah. will quicken my mortal body. Yeah. I got the same Holy Ghost Jesus yes. was walking around with. Can you say amen? Yeah. He'll work with me just as much. What did Jesus say? Right? Jesus said, these works that I do shall you do and Greater works than these will you do. Yes. That's his desire. He announced it. Well, here we are in Acts chapter 6. The New Testament church is growing. And they, they have people coming to their church from all over the place. And, and in their day, you have to understand, there's no government assistance. There's no help for people. So if you were widowed, you didn't have a, you didn't have a husband to provide. It was a difficult situation, especially because their society was set up that the men were much more involved. Amen. Then what the ladies were. So the church, God bless them. They, they just loved and helped everybody. So they were taking care of these widows. But what happened every day is this food was handed out is this certain group of widows that were from Greece. They were Jewish, but they weren't from Jerusalem. They were from, from Greece. They got ignored. So let's read this. Verse 1. Now in those days when the number of disciples was multiplying, there arose a complaint against the Hebrews by the Hellenists. That was Hellenists is people from Helen or we would say Troy or Greece because their widows were neglected in the daily distribution and the 12 that's the 12 disciples 12 apostles Peter James and John and Matthew and the group the 12 summoned the multitude of disciples and said it is not desirable that we should leave the word of God and serve tables 
Therefore, brethren, seek out from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom, whom we may appoint over this business. But we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the word. So that, that's what they said. Okay, the, the apostles found out that these men were doing this with, with bias and prejudice when they handed out the food. They don't pray about it. They don't have a counseling session. They don't have a, a meeting before church. They say, this first group of deacons, you're out of here. I'm sure they didn't kick them out of church because then they wouldn't have anywhere to go get help. But they, you cannot have these duties anymore because you can't do it right. Find us then seven people full of the Holy Ghost, good reputation, go and etc. And we'll bring them in. We'll put them in charge of this new ministry. Okay? And the same pleased the whole multitude, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith, and the Holy Spirit, Philip, Achorius, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenius, Nicholas, proselyte of Antioch, whom they set before the apostle, and when they had prayed, they laid hands on them. Look at that. And the word of God spread, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly. That's how important the helps ministry is. When these guys got in their niche, and they got in their flow behind their pastor, they took care of the flock so that their pastor was free to just obey God. That the word of God spread and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly. Say greatly. greatly. That's not taught in the church growth seminars. They teach you have to break down the church in order to grow it. But the Bible says the way to grow the church is to get pastor with God and we can take care of the rest of this pastor. You just stay with the things in the book. We got this covered. That's the way the Bible teaches church growth. Everybody get busy, find your part. Can you say amen? amen. You know, work is not a swear word in the Christian vocabulary. It's all right. And a great many of their priests were obedient to the faith. So we even have other church pastors coming to Peter, James, and John now and listening to them. Isn't that powerful? Yeah. Now, verse 8 is what I had never seen until recently. And Stephen, full of faith and power, did great wonders and signs among the people. Stephen did great wonders and signs among the people. So we have, again, two groups. We have Stephen and that, the other six. Philip's in there and it lists them. And we have the first group of deacons who came in and they didn't do it right, so they got replaced. The first group of deacons and Stephen and that, that team of seven, do they go to the same church or a different church? Same sermons or a different sermon? Same worship songs or different worship songs? Same widows or different widows? Same job description or different job description? One man finds the power of God and goes on and has healing signs and wonders and another group is replaced in the same church with the same sermons, hearing the same thing taught, and one man seizes his opportunity and another group wastes their opportunity and are removed by the same God. That's what you're telling me that these verses say. Is it, is not, I'm not stretching this out of context at all. Much food is in the follow ground of the poor. But for lack of judgment, there is what is swept away, and your opportunity is removed. In their church, 
Nobody stood up and said, if you cook bread for the widows, you can have a healing ministry. They just said, is there somebody here who would be willing to help the elderly? Is there somebody here who would help these, these people who are destitute, they're starving, they need food? Would you consider coming to the church and handing out the stuff? And Stefan comes into the same opportunity that the other group had. It's hot. You're cooking bread over an open fire. There, there is no preservatives. There is no refrigeration. You, you have to do this again every day. And I'm talking about there, you cannot store this and freeze 30 days worth. He goes into this same opportunity, and he goes in there with a smile on his face and a dance in his step and his shoulders back and the joy of the Lord. And when he gets back there, God begins to minister and heal and touch these widows. And he's doing the same thing. See, I, I enjoy these verses, and I believe the Lord should, because when I took and began to work in the ministry of helps, they told me there, that there was no anointing there, and I found my ministry where they said there was none. Where they said my pastor was just using me, I found the Holy Spirit. Working alongside of my pastor, laying underneath my desk, coming in early, staying up late, working Saturdays and, and Sundays in between services, I found the power of God. They said there was none, but I found plenty. They said there was no life, I found my life. One of my favorite people in our church was a guy by the name of Bill Lippard. Most of you won't know Bill Lippard. I'm going to use the word, I hope it's all right with you. In Midland, we have a group of people called Rednecks. You have Rednecks down here? <laughs> Got a mirror. It, hear my heart. In all of my life, I would never put anybody down. So you just, you know what I mean? I'm going to have fun, but I would just want you to know this is not a... My father was born and raised on a farm in Midland, Michigan back in 1921. No electricity, just back in the day. No plumbing, you know, outhouse, the whole nine yards. He was on the West Coast going to aviation school. Pearl Harbor got bombed. He got, he got froze to his base as a civilian. He fixed aviation material bombers for the, for the Air Force. After the war, he came back. It was difficult to find work in Midland for aviation because there just wasn't that many people in the area, that, especially that flew. And so he took a job in Detroit, became an airplane mechanic for General Motors Corporation, but he couldn't stay in the city. He always loved to go back to the farm, so he bought the farm for my grandparents when I was just about five years old. Not like he died bought the farm, but like he literally purchased the farm. Got to make sure we're all on the same page here. <laughs> stay with me here. It's, it's going to be all right. Well, you say bought the farm in Michigan, and people, oh, you lost your father. Sorry about that. Well, I have, but I mean, literally, he... he so weekends, we would come up here at least every other whatever because he just couldn't stand to sit still, and there was just never enough work for him because he was a farm boy. And so that was, I mean, every day was good working weather. Rainy day is a good day to work inside. Sunny day is a good day to work outside, but either way is good working weather. He'd be banging on my, I, I, I remember Dad banging on my bedroom door at 6 o'clock, 6.30 in the morning saying, you wasted half the day, let's go. Dad, it is 7 o'clock in the morning. It is not half the day. Well, it's close enough. Get your butt up. Let's go. <laughs> Whatever. And, and that's, you know what I'm talking about? That's the way I was raised. Well, at the family farm, when we were there on the weekends and such, I can't tell you how many times, if you went, the family farm backed up the state land, and there was woods for quite a ways with a swamp. You came up on the other side. There was a road called Dublin Road that we called Muddy Dublin because it's just sand road. And at the end of that lived a family called the Lippards, Bill and Meg. They had five boys, 
no girls, and they were both alcoholics. They were so poor because of the alcohol that they would, they would hunt 12 months of the year. Now, I don't know, to me, hunting is fairly regulated in Michigan, but evidently they had special rules. Because they could hunt at night on your property 12 months of the year. I can't tell you how many times, as God is my witness, I would be sitting there talking to my dad at night and there would be gunshots, and you could see headlights running through the back hay field at the family farm. So we would call my uncle. He'd come over in his truck. My brother and I would hop in the back end. My dad would ride what we called shotgun. We would go out and chase these four-wheelers through the field, and it, I, it was the Lippards. They'd be out there. There was five boys, and they'd be out there hunting our field. And, I, I, I mean, I'd jump out of the back of the pickup truck in that hay field and try and pull them off their quad and just bless them real good, you know, with the love of the Lord. And as far as I knew the Lord, but that, you understand, I knew these people. But they, they were rednecks. Just make sure we're all on the same page. I brought my mini bike through the woods, you know, it came up the other side and it was going along. They had a German shepherd dog, part wolf, part German shepherd mix that they, they called, his name was Rebel, they called him Reb. And Reb was so mean, he would hunt deer and drag them home in the morning. I mean, he was a German shepherd, but barely not a wolf. You understand? This thing was aggressive. And I, I remember going by their house on just that little dirt road with my mini bike, and they said, sick him, Reb. And he came off the porch, and I'm, I'm 11, 12 years old. You know what I mean? We haven't cleared puberty here yet. I'm going along, and that dog, that dog I know my mini bike does 42 miles an hour. I clocked it. That dog did 41. He's right on my heel trying to pull me off of that mini bike. Now, I know the Lippards. The, the, those five boys were such rednecks. You know, when we were kids, you know, now the kids have these paintball guns and they shoot each other with paintball guns. We didn't have those. We used to take BB guns out in the woods and shoot each other. And the rule was you weren't supposed to shoot above the shoulders, which my brother either was a very bad shot or he was just my brother. But either way, he... He, you understand. Well, the, the Lippards were even more advanced than that in their redneckness, and they, they got tired of doing all of that. So we didn't have paintball guns and all of that. So they literally would take hot dogs, and they'd take a shotgun shell, cut out the, the BBs out of the end, so it's just the powder. I don't recommend, don't do this. How they didn't split the end of the barrel, I don't know. They'd put that shotgun shell in. They'd wedge a hot dog in the end. And they would shoot each other with hot dogs in the house. Now, when I say rednecks, are we all on the same page? I don't want you to think I'm making stuff up. The youngest brother got tired of losing. He froze his hot dog. His oldest brother came by, and he shot him in the thigh, and he is hobbling through the house with a hot dog coming out of his leg. Now, if I'm lying, I'm dying. I promise you, I can verify. You can't make this up. They were so backwoods. They had an old horse, and they'd have horse races. And the way they'd race the horses, when mom and dad were up at the bar, getting drunk at the Tizit bar, they'd be up there, and, and they literally... 
the boys would take horse, they would time each other, and they would ride the horse up the stairs, through the living room, out the kitchen, and down the steps, and come around the porch one lap, and they would time each other who could make five laps the quickest. Now, when I say rednecks, you understand what I'm talking about? Now, time goes on. I go out. I get born again. I come in to hear a man named Lester Somer. I'll preach at Living Word Church in Midland, Michigan. I'm going to school at Central Michigan, and Dr. Summerall's over there over time. The pastor at the church there in Mount Pleasant resigned. I was looking for another pastor, and I came in. I went back to Dr. Barclay's church because I had seen Dr. Summerall there, and I thought if Dr. Summerall blessed the church, it must be a good church to go to. And I walk into the church, and sitting on the front row is Bill Lippard. Now, Bill Lippard is about this high. Bald head, pot belly. If you laid him down, Bill Lippard is about this high. <laughs> you know the kind? He had a knee replacement, so a little bit of a limp, and he'd never say, he'd never say thanks. He'd always say tanks. Lord Jesus, we want to tank you today. That was Bill. But he, what happened is he went down to northern Ohio, and there was a man down there who gave an altar call. And Bill Lippard went down there and gave his life to Jesus Christ. He told his wife, Maggie, he said, he said, well, I'm going to go down there and put some money in the offering. He said, but that fat old preacher ain't pushing me over. You know how we lay hands on people? Bill came up, and he got about three, four rows back from the bucket, and the power of God hit him, and he dropped. And he came up speaking in tongues. And he went back and he sat down by Maggie. Began to pray. They had never. Do you understand? They had been drunk all every day for decades. Meg went home to the hotel and she got baptized in the Holy Ghost that night. They came home, began to pour out all their alcohol in front of the five boys. And the boys had never seen their parents sober, not one day in their lives. And the boys began to cry, what's wrong with mom and dad? And I walked into Living Word Church sitting on the front row as the, the assistant head elder, not the head elder, but his assistant was Bill Lippard. And I'm looking at him and he's looking at me. He says, Ray, now let me explain. I want to tank Jesus. Bill Lippard became one of the finest evangelists I ever saw in my life. In fact, my father had a heart attack while I was on the West Coast with Dr. Barclay at a Holy Spirit conference. Bill went into the hospital and got my dad born again. Left me a message on my answering machine because when I called from California, to, you know, my mom had told me what happened, so I called the office, checked my voicemails, and there's Bill's message on there from Brother Ray, Brother B-R-U-D-D-E-R, I want to tank Jesus today that your fodder, F-A-D-D-E-R. Brother, don't you worry that your fodder today received Jesus Christ as his Lord and Savior. Now I got your back. You just stay out there and help pastor. Everything's going to be all right. Bill Lippard got called by his family to do, see, he began to, he just caught fire. He seized his spiritual opportunity. Yeah. He believed his pastor. Yeah. When his pastor told him he could do something for God, he just said, okay. Other, other people didn't believe it, but, but Bill did. He 
his family, one of his family members died. You understand? They don't know anybody who knows anybody who knows anybody who goes to church. Right. They're so far back in the woods, you got to pump in daylight. They, they, they have, you understand? And they, wonderful people. The people Jesus died for people. Who haven't heard the gospel of Jesus Christ. They don't know anybody who does. Hear my heart. They asked Bill to come in, would you do the funeral? Pastor had to give him a special ordination to make it legal. And he stood up and he began to do the funeral and work the paperwork the way you're supposed to. And then he began to tell his testimony. And he said, he told him what changed him and Meg. And he said, would any love you, you know, use? like to receive my Jesus as your Lord and Savior, bow your head and raise your hands. And 105 people in the backwoods for the first time in their lives bowed their heads and gave their lives to Jesus Christ because the town drunk seized his God-given opportunity that he could do something for Jesus Christ because his pastor told him he did. Other people left our church and said, Mark Barkley's crazy. You don't ever want to go there. He's just going to work here, blah, blah. Bill Lippard came in and he found his life. Yes. And in one service, 105 people gave their lives to Jesus Christ. Because he didn't believe the lies. He believed that God could use him to touch his generation. Yes. Bill went on, he became a security guard at Northwood University, and the students used to come to him, and he'd get them born again. They were from million-dollar homes. He was this redneck stick. They would listen to that little old man. He'd just stand there and look at it. You understand, Bill's youngest kid when he turned 18, sorry, his oldest boy when he turned 18 for his birthday wanted to be able to beat up his father. He came running at Bill for his 18th birthday, he said, this is the year I'm going to take you, old man. And Bill was drunk, and he cocked back, and he hit him as hard as he could in the forehead, and the guy's feet came out, and he dropped him. I'm talking rednecks. Yeah. And he came to, he looked up, and he said, next year, old man, you're mine. <laughs> he stands up at a funeral, and 105 people give their lives for the Lord. I don't think there was 12 teeth in the whole room. (laughs) You couldn't have sold a toothbrush to save your life. (laughs) I knew that family. I'm not putting anybody down. Hear my heart. But they were blood washed. Jesus died for those people. Jesus loved those people. Jesus was waiting for the day they would come underneath his salvation. I'm going to say it again. Because the town drunk seized his God-given opportunity and didn't believe the lies of the community. Came into the house of God and he found the power of God just like Stephen. And miracles, signs, and wonders began to happen at his hands. Much food is in what we've been taught. But we're not using what God has already given us. And so these opportunities then are swept away. 
But if we would seize what pastors taught us, if we would listen to the words of the man of God, if we would grab hold of the teachings, these things would begin to change not just us, but the people that are around us. And God would use us to shake our generation with the power of the living God. That's why I believe in the ministry of helps. I believe that as you come, God begins to impart into you and to teach you and to instruct you. And you begin to learn to hear the voice of God and you build his house and God begins to build your life. And just like Stephen, you find your ministry in the service of others in the house of God. The anointing begins to come on you, just working in this house and doing what Jesus Christ has called for you to do. Can you say amen? Amen. Close your eyes. I want to pray over you, everybody. Father, thank you for this wonderful congregation and this great pastor. Lord, I pray that we seize. Lord, forgive us for walking past these opportunities. Forgive us for not taking part in these things that you have offered before us. We take a minute, Lord, just as a church, myself included, to just repent. To say we're going to fix some things, we're going to adjust some things, we're going to rearrange some things in our schedule. And we're going to find ourselves busy again in the house of our God doing what you have called for us to do. Lord, we're going to grab hold of the word of the Lord that you place inside of our pastor and we're going to begin to do these things. Father, I thank you that you add your grace to us. You add your power to us. You add your Holy Spirit to us. May we be like Stephen and find our grace, our anointing, our call, our place in the house of God. And go on and do great signs and wonders in your house and among your people. Lord, as you lead us and guide us in all these things, we give you the praise and the glory for it in Jesus' name. Can you say amen? Amen. Would you give the Lord a good hand clap?